Welcome to the Healthy Lifestyles Podcast, located here in Northwest Phoenix, Glendale, and Peoria. My name is Dr. Nick Hunter. I am your host, and I am a doctor of physical therapy, and I own and operate Preferred Physical Therapy, where we have helped hundreds of people aged 40 plus stay active and independent, live free from painkillers, and avoid surgery, even if they've had pain for years. This podcast is intended to help you make better decisions about your health so you can find joy in the journey by bringing together top healthcare providers, fitness experts, and nutritionists in the area to give you knowledge and confidence needed to make good health decisions. Thank you for joining us today. Presentation and an agenda from a standpoint of what I hope to be able to help you understand, but at the same time, Feel free to ask questions, ask for clarification. Even if it's specific to what you're experiencing, uh, feel free to ask. I know we've got some with meniscus tears out here and some with arthritis, some who just got an injection catalog. We hear that a lot. So feel free to, to uh, ask questions, anything that's specific to your case. Okay? So we'll go ahead and begin. Uh, again, thanks again for coming. This is the team here. Um, a lot of these folks have been with me for a bit. And Justin and Hannah, two of my other PTs, they were students of mine previously. Uh, were, I don't think any of you were here when they were students. Were you, were you here? With, yeah, so good. And uh, it's always a thrill of, me, of mine to have students work with us and then some that we really like because we'll have the students with us for up to three months. It's a great job interview from us from a standpoint of how, how well do they fit into how we like to treat, how friendly, how, how well do they line up with our core values. And uh, some it's very clear that they'll be a great fit and some it's, it's not always that clear. And so I'd love to be able to have that chance with them to see, okay, this person's gonna be a great fit and then we'll stay in regular conversations with them and then when they do decide to come on board with us, um, it's fantastic because it's great to have people that you, that you trust to be able to treat patients the way that you like to treat them. And hey Nick, I always, I always question uh, all the initials behind each individual. Some of them have more, some have less. What do all those letters mean? Yeah. <laughs> totally. So the DPT stands for Doctor of Physical Therapy. It's a three-year postgraduate doctorate degree, so it classifies us as clinical doctorates. And so me, Justin, and Hannah have those. The XPS is a, um, an additional certification that Justin has pursued for um, an exercise. I'm trying to remember what it, what it stands for. Um, but it's an additional classification that he got through an exercise uh, group, I'm forget. I'm blanking on the name. It's a good question, um, but it basically it gives him more advanced knowledge in exercises specific to the the athletic or younger population into sports and, and sports training. And then Hannah, the Cert DN. So uh, SFDN is a Certified Functional Dry Needling, um, and then Hannah has Certified Dry Needling. The reason why they're different credentials on the end of them is because different organizations offer those trainings and classes. And uh, I've gone through the same dry needling course that Hannah has, um, and I've done it through two different groups. I just haven't done either one of those groups completely to then get the, class of the certification. Uh, I really should just do the other dry needling course just to, just to have it at the end just so it's, it's done, but I haven't yet, but I've done. Dry needling. Dry needling, good question. Dry needling is a use of Acupuncture needles, maybe you're more familiar with those, they're solid filament needles, meaning that there's no hollow injectable, there's no medicine that goes into them. But they're solid filament needles, also the end is blunt edge, so it's not a sharp edge. 
But because they're so fine and so thin, they, they do get into the skin very easily. And then we use those to get into a trigger point or a knot. And what a trigger point or a knot is, is a collection of muscle tissue that's in a state of tension or tetany, we call it. And they're mapped out across the body. They're very easy to find, very reproducible from person to person with some variance, but otherwise very similarly found. And oftentimes those knots or those collections of tight muscle tissue can be painful and irritable. And when they are, they can restrict motion, they can reduce strength and cause some dysfunction. We also will talk about because there's an increased tension across that knot or trigger point, it can affect joint function, meaning that when we have redu reductions in motion or strength is not as good, what happens is the joint can decline. So we get sometimes faster arthritis development, um, muscle weakness from an opposing standpoint that then happens, and we use dry needles, we call them dry needles because there's no injectable, we use a dry needling approach to help break up that tetany, loosen up that tension, and allow the muscle to function more healthy. The joint then isn't as compressed and irritated, and we can use it to help, in conjunction with exercises, restore more joint health and muscle strength. Good question. So that's what certified dry needling. Colton's a physical therapist assistant. He's got a bachelor's degree, which is rare in physical therapy assistants, but um, also a PTA. The biggest difference between what a PTA or a PT can do, much like a PA and a physician, <coughs> PTs are the only ones that can diagnose and discharge patients. Um, and that's about it. Otherwise, PTAs can do all the treatment. They can do all the hands-on work. They can't do dry needling, but they can do all the hands-on work, the stretches. They can do the exercises. They're very highly trained. And Colton has been with me for five years now. He started out as a clinical assistant. Um, and then advanced through his PTA program, has been with me, uh, he's our longest tenured employee. And for those of you who know Colton, is a fantastic, fantastic guy. He is, he is, he is a fan favorite for sure. Uh, and then you know Christy in the back here, and then Julia. Julia's been with us just for just over a year now, and has been a great addition to our team. I looked up the uh, certification on Justin. Yeah, great. Perfect. Yeah, good. Thank you. All right. So why are you guys here today? Many are here for a number of reasons, some very specific to you, but generally speaking, we look at how uncomfortable this knee irritability is getting in your life, how disruptive to your lifestyle is this knee pain. And what we see it uh, so often in our clinic is we can take this knee pain for so long, right up until the minute we start thinking, you know what, this is enough is enough. It's starting to show up in everything. Maybe it's affecting sleep. Can't hike with my friends, my girlfriends, or playing golf, or getting up from a chair. I had, I had one patient, I asked her, you know, what brings you in today? Oh, my knee's hurting. Okay, why is it you want to get this taken care of? And she kind of looked at me, paused, leans in and says, because I couldn't get out of the booth and I was embarrassed to have my family help me get out of the booth. And now whenever I go to restaurants with my family, we can't sit in booths because I don't want to go through that again. And I was like, okay, got it. We're going to help get you out of a booth because those are tough to navigate. And if we can't get out of a booth, it, it can sometimes be a challenge. Um, and so when that happens, so in this instance, how often is she missing out on opportunities to spend time with her family? I had another one who said, 
I had enough when I have to map, I had to go shopping with my, I got to go shopping with my, with my grandkids and we had to map out our route based on when my next seat was. I had to be able to see where my next seat was because I had to sit down and take a break. My knee pain was so bad. And how often, how many more compromises are we allowing into our life before we just say enough is enough. We want to get this taken care of. We want to do so without pills, injections, or surgery. Leads to poor balance, getting up off a chair or a toilet. Toilets are getting lower and lower. It seems like, and so we want to be able to maintain our independence and not feel fragile or like we have the need to rely on other people to help us do simple daily things. And especially if you've been told it's bone on bone or arthritis and there's nothing you can do about arthritis, I love this conversation because there's lots that we can do with arthritis. And a lot of folks don't realize that it's old age, it's bone on bone, there's nothing you can do, and um, the reality is we've, we've researched it aplenty. We've done not only the physical therapy profession, but MDs and arthritis associations have put in a lot of money in how to research and treat arthritis. And most commonly, what we call osteoarthritis. Osteo is just a fancy word for bone. Osteoarthritis, and that's the most common form of arthritis in the knee versus rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, also common, but not as common as, as osteoarthritis. And many folks feel like the, their only chance is gonna be injections or knee replacement. Um, and where I try and insert our dialogue into that conversation is, while that may be true, that may be true that knee replacement is in your future, what do we do until then? So many folks will feel like they're in this limbo state of it's not bad enough yet for knee replacement, and so they're just gonna wait it out. And where I try and say, hey, well, that's one option. The other option exists that what if we could do a whole lot more to help get that knee as healthy as possible prior to that surgery to maintain mobility, so how well does it move, and increase the strength all around that knee while not causing more pain, knowing that, hey, maybe that knee is just too far gone, arthritis is what it is, that we can't do anything to affect it because we waited too long, but what if we go into that with as healthy a knee as possible so then your outcomes on the back end of that surgery are as best as possible. And we've had great success in helping folks navigate their recovery before it even happens. And so it's a big conversation that I like to have with folks considering it. Question, yes, thank you, Teresa. Um, this really should talk to the medical teams because the medical teams, you know, as the population ages, it's like, oh, well, it's arthritis and you're getting old and, you know, there's nothing we can do. And just listening to you, there is a lot. I, yes, I wish I could scream it from the rooftops. I wish I could go in and shake every doctor that I know. Um, and the, the, the reality, they're, they're living in a reality as well. And that reality is, how much time do they have in that doctor's visit with you? 15 minutes. 15 minutes, maybe you squeeze out 20. But mostly it's quick. You spend more time waiting in the waiting room, in the room itself, and then you get a, a few conversations with your doctor to no fault of their own. I mean, they're in a model that is highly constrained. And then you add on to the generations of time that this individual in that office with them has not done anything or willing to do anything except for the lowest and easiest, lowest barrier and easiest thing to do, which is usually pills, injections, or surgery from their standpoint. And so now we have a doctor who's got 10 to 15 minutes of time to try and change their mind on the lifestyle choices that they're creating. So yes, you're right. I would love to scream it from the rooftops. And that's why I, I, you've probably seen a lot of my advertisements on Facebook. I try and 
I try and scream it from Facebook all the time of, hey, here's a quiz you can take to find out how bad it is. Here are other options for you to know. That's why I love doing these things, because I want to talk to people who are ready to have this conversation with me. Those who aren't, I accept that they have their own agency and they're going to go their own path, and no matter what I say and do, isn't going to change their mind or open it up to any potential conversation about what they can actually do to get better. Because you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So from a doctor's standpoint, they have 10 to 15 minutes to have one to two conversations with them, and they're already getting shut down on nutrition. We're going to go over weight loss here in a minute. On nutrition, on activity, they're getting shut down on all these conversations, and so they're going to say, okay, we got pills, injections, or surgery. Which one do you want to have? Yeah. And often it's pills quick. It's let's go. To, here's, a, here's a referral for ortho. Go talk to them about injections. And here's an, here's an imaging referral. Mm -hmm. Next. It's the reality that we're in. Yeah. And I, I, th this is me trying to shake that tree and say, hey, I'm going to talk to the general population who is willing and interested in hearing about a conversation that is different from settling for pain pills, injections, and surgery. Because you're right. My goal today is to have you understand why you might have knee pain, the options for treatment, restorative maintenance and preventive care, um, but then also how we can help as preferred physical therapy, what is our model of care and treatment, and what we do to help you get back to your activities pain-free, and then answer your questions, your specific unique questions you might have around uh, what your case is looking like and, and what we might be able to do to help you out. Um, ultimately, the biggest thing, as I, I'm now 40, and I know it's, it's, it, it's getting older for me. My boys are 17, 15, 13, and 11. I got four boys, and my wife and I are in all kinds of conversations about how to keep up with them. Um, <laughs> but then also about grandkids and what does the future look like for us. And like many of you, wanting to be as active and mobile as possible to be able to enjoy that time with them and not feel we're constrained because of our health. And in, in doing so, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the, the daily deposits of exercise and fitness that are necessary to help maintain that. Now, I know not everything is the same. There's a lot of genetics, a lot of circumstances that go into it, but there is a lot of opportunity for improvement with the right guidance and being able to understand how can we maintain, to, how, how can we walk with and hike without pain so we can have those relationships with family? How do we get up and down from a chair or from a toilet seat? How do we sleep easy at night? I can't tell you how many times I've had folks, the biggest thing, I just want to sleep at night, I want to get some restful sleep. I don't want to wake up in all kinds of pain throughout the night because my knee's in whatever position and now it's stiff, achy, and I can't sleep. And it's that deep bone aching pain throughout the night that is causing all kinds of difficulties. And then again, getting up. And then fear of falling. Fear of falling is another big one that we'll kind of discuss a bit. We see a lot of this kind of general s symptoms around the knee. Uh, some swelling, tenderness. A lot of times you'll feel it in the back of the knee, like, it's a, like there's a a balloon or a big ball of, uh, of fluid in the back of the knee. We see that often. Um, crunching or grinding. You probably notice you're getting up or sitting down. I've had folks, I'll sit next to them and I'm like, I can hear that from here. And I, and I know you can hear that. I can hear it from here. What does that mean? What is going on with that? And uh, because of that, you might feel unstable when you stand on that knee. And it feels like it's, it's loose or wobbly. Uh, what's going on there? We are noticing, and maybe it's because we're researching things more and more, but knee pain and knee arthritis substantially increased over the last 20 years. And I think it's a combination of um, maybe lifestyles being more sedentary, uh, workplaces are, are more in front of computers, particularly in the last 20 years. And so 
because of that and not having really a good habits in the past with activity and, and kind of any kind of daily routine where we're, we're building activity into our lifestyle, I think it's going to continue to get worse. We're getting out of PE and schools and elementary. We're getting a lot more specialized in sports and youth sports. And so people are either going down one path of activity or sport and then the others that aren't doing anything in activity or sport and they're not getting it in, in, in school because PE is getting canceled. And then we're all getting more sedentary as we grow older with social media and everything being in front of us. Uh, we can have food delivered to our house without even, we can't, without even leaving the home, we can do all kinds of stuff now, which is great from one standpoint, but I anticipate it's going to cause a lot of problems going forward in the future. And so I think it's going to get worse. And as we measure it more and more, BMI is your, your, your body weight versus your height. And there's numbers that just say, you know, what's a normal range or what's a good number for you. The higher the BMI, the worse it is. And we are noticing that the higher the BMI, the more incidents, the more we see with knee pain. And what we are able to see is um, that as we get older and as we get heavier, we get more knee pain. And I think it's the next slide. I want to make sure I don't miss it. But we do see it happen more in women than men, 20% more uh, with the studies. Um, maybe on the next slide, but I'll make sure I bring it up. We have been able to research. Uh, a study came out, I think it was about six years ago, talked about weight loss versus knee pain. And they were able to conclude across a large study, just a 10-pound weight loss resulted in up to 40% reduction in knee pain. So nearly up to half. Now, that wasn't always. That was the, that was the range. They got up to at least, or up to 40% of reduction in knee pain with just a 10-pound weight loss. Now, some people have 10 pounds to lose. Some people don't. They still have knee pain. There are pockets of individuals who, who 10 pounds is too much. But there is a, um, a huge correlation in just getting the ability to, to unload that knee by 10 pounds helps tremendously. One in four Americans has arthritis based on CDC studies. Um, I, I already talked about it being the most common. Uh, meniscus tears. We talked about meniscus tears. And we are noticing, so we have ACL tears and meniscus tears. Anyone here know of someone who's had an ACL repair? Couple. 15 times more likely to have knee arthritis that leads to a total knee replacement, folks who have ACL tears. Tears and then repair. And we, we hear about it all the time in athletics, uh, athletes getting ACL tears and then repairs. And that surgery has come a long way. It's a great surgery. But because of the trauma sufficient to tear the ACL, it also accelerates their, their route to uh, knee arthritis. So. If you've had an ACL tear and subsequent repair, great. It, it's almost always the right thing to do. Um, but it does lead to 15 times more likely. 15 times is a lot. Um, if you've just had a meniscus tear, just the meniscus tear, four times more likely to develop advanced stages of osteoarthritis. It's very, very common. Uh, we'll talk about this meniscus surgery because it's, it, we're kind of going away from it. But. Um, Meniscus tears are very, very common over the age of 40, just from everyday living. Ever, twisting wrong, very, very common. Airplanes, anyone try to get into that window seat? And we go in there and we twist as we squat. Very, very common mechanism of injury over the age of 40 for meniscus tears. So what I recommend, this is benefit to you guys who are here, sidestep all the way over and then sit down in a linear fashion versus trying to hobble over there and then twist as we squat. Very, very tough on the meniscus. Um, 
this is a all-star patient of ours we had a couple of years ago. She, her, her, she first was introduced to us by one of these meetings here, but we did it virtually. This is back in the throes of the pandemic in 2020 in the summer. We had it virtual. She had all kinds of difficulty getting on, so we sent her the, the recording of it. And when she first came to us, um, she had all kinds of knee pain and back pain. When I first saw her, I, I told her, I was like, Hey, this is this knee pain. This this knee arthritis is some of the worst I've seen. Her knee is really stiff. It couldn't get straight. It couldn't bend very well. And I said, I don't know that there's going to be a lot that we can do to help you avoid knee replacement. I think I think knee replacements in your near future. Uh, there's a lot that we can do to help you before that, uh, because there there's some some springiness to that stiffness. Sometimes when we mobilize a knee, you can feel it hit concrete where it's like it's now a two by four and it's not going to bend anymore. She had a little bit of sponginess, a little bit of, of give to that knee. And I said, we can get a lot of that to improve, uh, but I, I think in the end you're going to need knee replacement. And, and she was like, that's okay, I, I accept that, but I want to do everything I can to avoid it. And, uh, and she said, well, will you work with me? And I said, I absolutely will as long as you know that I, we're going to do our best, but I'm not going to promise that we're going to be able to avoid knee replacement. She was with us for almost seven months. This is, again, summertime, uh, early summer, and then we got to Thanksgiving, and she came and talk, talked to me after Thanksgiving, and she said, Nick, I was able to stand for four hours and cook Thanksgiving dinner and get the turkey, a 10-pound turkey out of the oven so it didn't burn. Her husband was out in the, out in the yard. She said, I was going to call him in because I was too afraid to do it and didn't want to drop it, but he was too far away, and we were going to burn a turkey, so I, I got it out, and I was able to do all that. Yeah, I was tired, and I was a little sore, Previous to that, she could only stand for 15 minutes. And she was able to do all, she was so thrilled. If you could have seen just the light in her eyes of her ability to make Thanksgiving dinner her family, when previously 15 minutes for dinner was, was too much and she had to go lay down, uh, it was just a huge win for us. And she came back, she's still working with us. She, she just got COVID uh, two, three months ago. And um, she, when I spoke to her on the phone when she was gonna start back up with us again, she said she really thinks her ability to overcome COVID and, and to, to be healthy through COVID uh, was because of her activity with us within her diligence at home to continue her exercises so that the COVID wasn't as bad um, for her. And I, I was thrilled to have her, I mean, just, just to hear that, that she was doing so well, um, but then also start back up with us was just a huge win. We were so, so excited. Um, these are some of the details about her. So we had this valgus deformity. You've probably seen it when the, you're standing and you can see where the knee caves in and the foot kind of pops out. We call that a valgus deformity. And sometimes that's an advanced stage of arthritis where the inside of the knee is, is collapsing and giving way because the, we have a big thick ligament on the inside of our knee called the, the medial, medial collateral ligament. It's a fan-like ligament. Arthritis tends to degrade that as well and we lose that support and we get this, this kind of deformity. And she had that pretty severely. When, again, when I saw her walk in, these are the concerns I had. No, we, we can't change that. that. That is what it is. But what we were able to accomplish is help mobilize and get it to be moving much better. And then because we call that a passive support system, it doesn't contract. It doesn't, it's, like a, it's like framing on a wall. It's rigid and stiff to give you some support to hold the ceiling up. Similar to that knee situation, now it's no longer supportive from a passive structure and we have muscles that now are the active support structure to keep her as stable as possible. And she's able to stand for four hours and cook Thanksgiving dinner. Just some other details about her case. 
Um, I wanted to go over the anatomy of, of because there's going to be a quiz on this later on. <laughs> but I want you guys to know there's a little bit about why is it important that you know about the knee because it helps to see the opportunities that exist in what can be done. Whenever you hear it's just arthritis and nothing that can be done, the reality is there's, there's quite a bit. And I specifically showing two options, one without the muscles, that's the one on the right, and then the one with the muscles. Now, I don't love the completeness of this picture because there's not all the muscles down below, nor do we see the calf and how the calf helps to support the knee. But I wanted to be able to at least begin the conversation of why paying attention to musculature and muscle strength is so important in helping to unload the knee, particularly in arthritic situations, in meniscus situations, or feelings of instability. And so if we just focus here on the right side first, just the bone structure, you can see where there's the joint surface, which is that smooth inside looking. You see, oh, you can't really see the mouse. Can you see the mouse? It's yeah. pretty small. All this white yeah. underneath here. And if I were to flip that kneecap, the patella, if I flip it over like a pancake, the back side of that kneecap looks just, this, just like that. It's all kinds of joint surface. And it sits kind of right there in that valley. You're looking straight at it, and you'll know it's the right knee because you see the fibula down here. It's always on the outside of the lower leg, so it's the right knee. You're looking straight at it. Everything's pulled away. Again, flip over that kneecap. We see on the back side that's joint surface. It's that nice, smooth. We call it hyaline cartilage. And so who's had an x-ray of their knee? You guys have seen it before? You know how there's a, there's a space or like a, a black space in between those bones? And that's because we call that joint space because that hyaline cartilage doesn't show up on x-ray. You only can see the dense bone portions, and so there's that joint space. So when they say it's bone on bone, what happens is that hyaline cartilage now has been completely compressed, and what you're looking at is two white edges of bone that now, instead of having a healthy amount of space in between, now look like they're sitting right on top of each other. And that's what they say is bone on bone. And that's usually when it's like not a ton left to do with that cartilage. Typically, you end up in total knee replacement to try and restore some of that joint space. Now, it's not always 100% that way, kind of like Joellen. She does not have a whole lot of joint space either. But based on what we were able to do, we were able to unload a lot of her discomfort from that compression of those two bones so where she can, she can function much, much, easily, much more easily. But what we also notice is see how there's this, you see the meniscus here. There's a medial and lateral, so inside and outside portions. The meniscus helps to deepen and set that joint so that it's more stable, it's more secure, but also shock absorbing. And the meniscus is shaped kind of like a wedge where it's thicker and fatter on the outside, but then it thins down towards the middle. And for that purpose, it allows the, the femur or the leg bone here to come down and kind of sit and sink into that soft tissue. So then as we move, walk, jog, step up curbs and whatnot, it sits and snugs into that, that space and then we're able to, to move more freely with a lot of, again, passive support structures. None of these things, none of these things on this side are gonna contract or pull together. It's all just passive support. So that's what you'll see. Who, uh, any of you know anyone who had a, their meniscus removed? This was a popular surgery like back in the other days. <laughs> I like, know my audience here. <laughs> You, were, you guys are probably in your 20s and 30s when they, they used to pull meniscus out. Wow. They very quickly were like, well, we shouldn't do that anymore. Kind of like when we used to put butter on burns. Remember that? 
Anyone, anyone's parents put butter on their burns? We don't do that anymore, do we? We used to cast everything, too. You all probably remember any time there was any injury, it's like, oh, throw a cast on that thing. We don't do that anymore. Even ACL repairs, they used to cast all the way from the hip down to the ankle. We don't put them in casts anymore for that. And recovery has been phenomenally better because we, want, we know that motion nourishes joints. Uh, and particularly, unless it's a, an, an unstable fracture, unless the bones are actually fractured and they need to be stabilized, casting is still the right thing to do. Let's not misinterpret that. But across joints that are otherwise healthy, there's maybe some injury to it. We want to manage how much load we put through it. We don't want to make sure that we take care of it appropriately. So going back to musculature, why is that important? Um, my boys like to watch YouTube. Maybe some of your grandkids or maybe some of you guys like YouTube. There's a few things in there that I like to watch. One of these videos, maybe you've seen it, but these scientists, I think they call them scientists, they're sitting down and they're putting rubber bands around this watermelon. And it's a video in a kind of a fast-forward motion, and there's band after band after band after band on this watermelon. Guess what happens to that watermelon? You've seen it, Joe. I know you subscribe to this channel. It blows up. This, this watermelon explodes. Now, why, how can one rubber band, obviously now we're at the hundreds of rubber bands, how does that create enough tension, enough force to cause that watermelon to explode? It's that same kind of straw that broke the camel's back. Little by little, we get enough of that passive tension sufficient to then cause damage. Meniscus are often, and joint surfaces are often, that watermelon that then eventually doesn't explode that violently, but eventually breaks down and decays. Muscles are those rubber bands. Same with any excessive weight that we have. But muscles in particular are often those rubber bands that, that little by little over time cause that breakdown. Muscles are natural, like, what are we gonna do about that? Why do you guys think muscles play a part in degrading or tearing down joint surfaces? What do you guys think? Compression? Yes, it's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of compressive forces. And why do you think that is? What makes it unhealthy? Because muscles have tension, muscles all have passive tension. The fact that we have tone or that we have a figure to our muscles is because we have a sustained amount of passive tone to those muscles. Why, what makes it unhealthy versus healthy? What do you guys think? It's a lack of movement. So this is, you're, you're hitting right on it. And there's what we call asymmetries in the body. They're very normal. We all have them. But have you noticed that when you do a task repeatedly, it happens now to our knees and our joint surfaces. They've been challenged and challenged in ways that aren't always healthy or appropriate. And so that's what happens is we get muscle tension across areas that we, the body thinks is important because that's the load that we've demanded on it, we've placed on it when we want to do actually other things to help the muscles around it to support and counteract that tension. So it's almost like if we, instead of putting the rubber bands on the whole time, one goes on, but then one comes off because we're able to counteract that tension. So just like we have biceps and we have triceps, this is the easiest example. Bicep contracts and pulls the arm up, tricep extends. If all I do is strengthen, 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 strengthen here, what we're gonna find out is we're gonna get into this imbalance where now we have a motion that is tighter and more restricted versus because it's, it's too strong or too trained 
to then disallow the tricep to do its job and it's not functioning as well. And the knee is no different. And you see how many muscles are around that knee, not only from the front side, the back side, but then the calf coming up, there's a whole lot more complexities in place that make it so the knee pain becomes inevitable when it's not taken care of. And so how many of you, when I was younger, I could do all these things. My knee could bend back. I could sit on my heels. I've had some say that I could do the splits. I was never able to do that. But a lot of, if we don't train in that and continue to practice and work on that, we will lose it. It will go away. Partly because maybe we don't need to do those things anymore, but partly also because we just don't challenge those muscles or those joints in those positions. But very, very important that we do so that we can maintain that and reduce how much reduce how many rubber bands we're putting on that watermelon. Very common conditions that we see, uh, you know, acutely, meaning that from trauma, a lot of ligament damage, um, any kind of ligament tear that we see. We have all your collateral ligaments or cruciate ligaments that become torn uh, from trauma. We see medial collateral ligaments, so that inside fanning ligament. We see that tearing spontaneously uh, just from, from age or, or we call it degenerative changes to the knee. Fractures, meniscus tears can be acute and traumatic. They can also be degenerative, meaning just over time we get fraying and tearing from all of those passive tensions. IT band syndrome, anyone heard of this one? Anyone heard of IT band syndrome? A lot of runners get it. Um, sometimes athletes, like soccer players, running, a lot of running sports will get it um, because it attaches from the high hip down across the knee. Good. And then we have the chronic ones. So any kind of itis means inflammation um, or apathy. Anything that ends in apathy is a kind of a chronic tendonitis effect or a chronic inflammatory effect that then wears away at the joint surface itself. Baker says is that feeling of pocketed swelling behind the knee. It can get pinchy, can feel like sharp at times. And it's, that's a symptom of any kind of irritation in the knee joint itself then causes swelling and we get that pocket of fluid to collect in the back of the knee. And then you have your arthritis. Uh, a cartilage tear or divot. I had, I did, my whole doctoral dissertation was on microfracture surgery. Um, and this is from cartilage divots or tears. Different from meniscus, because meniscus are those cone-shaped shock absorbers of the knee. Your cartilage is that, that white surface that I showed you in the image before. There are spots where the meniscus no longer covers and the cartilage is what's exposed. And much like any golfers in here, anyone who's struck a nice divot and picked up some of that grass, and you, what can happen is you can decelerate or run or move just wrong or near fall, and we can get a hard scrape across that cartilage and very similar cause a divot or a, a, an injury, called an insult to the cartilage that can cause pain, swelling, irritation. Again, puts us on the faster track for developing arthritis. Um, and so what are your treatment options? Given all these things in place, what are your treatment options? Um, oftentimes, immediately from an uh, acute injury, an acute fall or issue, you go in and get some imaging done to see just what severity we're dealing with. Um, X-rays exclusively show bone. MRIs or CAT scans can show soft tissue. So what are some of the soft tissue that you're going to look for in an MRI or CAT scan? That's going to be your meniscus, it's going to be your cartilage, any ligaments and tendons associated with the knee. And there's different positions that you'll go in to then expose different spots, mostly in an x-ray. MRI, anyone had an MRI before? Super loud, a lot of clanging and banging, and then kind of uncomfortably, hold still, don't move, hold still, don't move. 
not the most enjoyable experience for sure. <laughs> and the reason why is with they, you don't have to move or do anything. The MRI, they, they take images and slices and from all different angles. Uh, pretty amazing, actually. Um, and then medications and injections. Uh, I was talking to Naomi earlier today about an injection that she got, and, and we hear about it all the time. So you got cortisone injections, Kenalog's another pain-relieving agent. Usually you'll have an injection if it's a, an anti-inflammatory injection. It, it's a combination of three agents, one being a, a high or very strong anti-inflammatory, cortisone being one of them. And then you have two pain-relieving agents, one being a short-acting, a very fast-acting but short-lasting pain-relieving agent, and the other one being a, a longer-lasting pain-relieving agent. And they do the injection to give you some relief, and it's like everything is great, hunky-dory. Anywhere from 24 hours to six months, they, they, can, they can last. Uh, it just depends. Um, and everyone's really thrilled when it does help because it is like a breath of fresh air. Finally, we get some relief. What we have noticed with cortisone, especially repeated cortisone, anyone had um, cortisone injections before? Do they tell you how many times you can have one? Three. Three a year. Why is it three a year? Did they say? Um, no, <laughs> not really. They've limited the number of cortisone injections because we found an accelerated decay of the joint surface and really any soft tissue in the area from repeated cortisone use. And so they will only inject the same area at maximum three times a year because beyond that you, you really run the risks of um, more decay of the joint. And so we have noticed that the, the more and earlier use of injections, the faster you are on the route of knee replacement. Again, sometimes it's like, let's get some relief. We can sleep better at night. We can do more in PT to help get things stronger, the joint more mobile. It, I don't want you to think I'm totally against injections at all costs. I'm, I'm not to the point that we need some relief and that's like the next step before we go to knee replacement. Let's do it because it's, it's not like we're going to um, rule out other things that we can do. It can be a good tool to help out getting some relief. What I don't want you to think is I'm just going to wait and wait and wait till it's bad enough to do the injection. That's not the right approach. We want to do as much as we can to avoid the injection. We've done everything we can to avoid the injection. We still need it. Let's get it. Let's come back into PT and try and work through that while we're under much more managed, much better managed pain. All in our end hope is that we can get back to what we want to do, but also avoid knee replacement. What about the gel injection? Yeah, we got Synvisc, Orthovisc, the, the Rooster, Next, whatever, all kinds of, call, we call all kinds of things. And um, unfortunately, we're not saying the benefits that we'd like from those injections. We've even tried stem cells, we've tried protein-rich plasma or PRP injections. Some of them can can give you, again, some temporary relief. And even if we get the six months of relief with some of those injections, great, let's try it. Um, what I, the, the conversations I try and be in is, let's not use that as the thing that's gonna treat my knee pain. Let's use that as an addition, as a partner, or as a helper to what really is gonna help your knee pain, and that's restoring motion and strength. Because all those things work in conjunction. The injections, even the pills, and the, and the Synvisc injections, all those work in conjunction to help give you some relief, some chance at having physical therapy help you versus it's the thing that I'm going to do and I'm not going to do anything else because that's the danger that we run into and that's, that's often a temporary step 
to then lead to total knee replacement. Again, I put in there all these things, they end up just, they're masking the pain. It's sweeping the issue under the rug and not really addressing it if that's all that we go to. In conjunction with, with what you really need, I'm all, I'm all for it. But if that's all we do, then um, I'm not a big fan of, of that mentality. Surgery, um, this is another conversation that I'm, I'm in often because one of the things that we try and do with, we, we call it the preferred method, is really identify the root cause. Um, and so, why do you have such broken down cartilage in your knee, or why do you have such bad arthritis? Any thoughts, any ideas? Diet. Diet's part of it, absolutely. Diet's part of it, levels of activity, absolutely. Past injury history, part of it, good. Any other thoughts? Doctors always say, well, it's, you know, it's age, old age. Old age. It's yeah. genetics. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. To a, point, to a point, there's some truth to that, for sure. Um, it's not the only truth. And where I want to really help people understand is from a standpoint of, uh, let's not forget arthritis is a symptom. The fact that your cartilage is broken down is a symptom. It is not the root cause. And why do I say that with absolute conviction is because we can go in there and inject the medicine and take away all your pain only to have it come back again. We can go in there and replace the entire joint only to have it come back again. And why, why is that? Why are we settling on, on just the symptom though we think it's because that's the tissue that's broken down. We can clearly see this tissue is broken down. This is the site of pain. Let's fix it and we're all better. The reality is it's not that simple. We have so many other things going on that are contributing to that rapid breakdown that need to be addressed before we can just replace that. such a big thing. I had a patient on the phone yesterday who had been twisting her ankle since yeah. 2017. She told me that she was overweight, but she kept having this repetitive twisted ankle, and it finally got to the point where she tore a bunch of tendons and ligaments and had to have surgery because nobody took the time to find out her movement pattern about why was she twisting the ankle in the first place for all those years and then she ended up having surgery. And so as I was talking to her, I was telling her, like, we need to find a root cause because if you go, you know, a lot of regular clinics are going to treat your ankle. If we're not finding out why the ankle is doing that, you're going to go to a regular clinic who's going to treat your ankle and not the cause of your movement, you might end up back in surgery again. And, and my heart hurt for her because she's been going through that for so many years. 100%. And it, you, when you look at that situation, what you're concerned of, from, my, you know, from a provider standpoint, what I'm concerned of is she's going to get caught in this cycle of needing surgery, needing pills, this, this cycle of chronic pain to take care of this condition because it's, it appears as though this is a thing that's broken and needs to get fixed when it's much more complex than that. And if we don't take care of these things that are going on that are contributing to this breakdown and contributing to this state of injury, then... We're never going to get to the, we're never going to be able to take care of it. Who here has had a vehicle that they have to replace tires more often than they should? Who doesn't? Who doesn't, right? <laughs> Why do you think tires are getting worn down so quickly? Usage, friction. Is maybe the alignment bad? 
is maybe the, something wrong with the car. Like, it's another one of those things where if we, if we don't, if we just keep paying for new tires and don't keep up with the alignment, don't keep up with other things that maybe putting that to where we're, or we're not rotating tires, if we aren't doing the things that, that are going to help us get the longevity out of those tires that we need to, we're going to be replacing those things. And sadly, our knees don't replace as easily as tires or as inexpensively, as crazy as that sounds. Are my ankles stiff? Are my hips stiff and weak? All those things that cross the knee, do I have weakness in my quad and hamstring? They're gonna help support. Am I using my calf when I stand up? Or am I heavy on my heels? There's lots of, lots of things that go into identifying what is the root cause and what are some contributing factors to better understand how to take care of this knee. And it, it, always, ha I mean, it always happens best when we can do so early on and people commit early on to getting it taken care of instead of waiting until it's, the house is on fire and we're trying to figure out how to put it out with a garden hose. It's, if we can take care of these, these things that show up very quickly and clean them up earlier, it makes managing it much, much easier and the success of it much, much easier. So your typical journey with knee pain, uh, many of you have probably been, already been on it. Often you go to a primary care doc, first thing is rest or pills or both. Come back six to eight weeks later, still happening. Okay, here's an ortho referral to the doctor. We're gonna get some imaging, maybe some injections. Uh, maybe they even throw you, if you got a good doc, all the research now is showing early PT, the better. So when you go into knee pain, the, the, the best practice is that you get a referral for PT. Uh, not always the case because maybe that, and I've talked to a lot of doctors who are like, what do, I, what do you want me to tell my patients who say they've been to PT and either didn't work for them or they had a bad experience? I'm like, perfect, send them to me because I want to talk to them. I'm thrilled with those kind of people because if they've had a bad experience or, they've, or they feel like it doesn't work for them, I've tried all the exercises to get this off done. I've tried all the exercises and it didn't work for me. you tried all of them? you tried all the exercises? There's a lot of exercises. And then my thought is, okay, great. Show me some of the ones that you've done and show me how you're doing them. Because so often, the kind of PT that they've had in the past is the 10 to 15 minutes, much like your doctor, 10 to 15 minutes of conversation, a little bit of hands-on, maybe they get some hands-on to do some stretches or whatever else, and then you're off doing exercises on your own, typically unsupervised or with, without really any kind of care. And that's often the time that I hear about people who say, yeah, I went to PT, and I always left feeling like I could have easily done these things at home, or I just wasted my time because I could have found these same things online. And so great, let's come in and have a conversation because that's not the way that we do things around here. It's gonna be all about making sure that we know what does Lydia need? How are we noticing Lydia's movement patterns be? What are we diagnosing the condition to be? And then how do we help do in conjunction with hands-on work, whether that's stretching, mobilizations, maybe it's dry needling, scraping, cupping, all the things that we can do to help the soft tissues work better to then prescribe the right exercises under the right doses to be able to train it effectively. For the first time, my knee incident, I fell in the bathtub and I went to the doctor. Uh, I guess he was an ortho doctor, I'm not sure. And he said, I, you, you have a meniscus tear, so we're going to have to have the surgery. So I had the surgery. And he goes, You know, I said, I still have a lot of pain. He says, Well, I don't think that you would do well with physical therapy. So he didn't prescribe it. So I went on and it seemed like I, I, it was hurting more and more. Mm -hmm. 
so I went to another doctor and they uh, you know, said you need to go to the physical therapy. And that helped a lot. It's a big concern that, um, that they would make that conclusion without your input. Yeah. Um, and it, from a standpoint of, so if, obviously I'm a PT, much like a, much like a carpenter with a hammer. I see a nail, I want to hit it with PT, <laughs> and I'm, I'm selling PT. Um, but I also, when I look at it from a standpoint of, if, if I'm genuinely interested in doing what's right for Lydia, why don't I have a conversation about what she wants to do? And use, my, from my understanding and my training, knowing, based on what I know, and now knowing what she wants to do, what's the best thing for her? And it would be absolutely worth having a conversation about, let's do PT. Instead of, instead of me just making my own, my own yeah, guess as to what physical therapy. I had a lot of pain would have been you know, beneficial for if I went to physical therapy. He no, I don't think it would be good for you. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've sadly heard that more than I'd like to admit. Um, <laughs> because it is, it is one of those where, um, and I, I can't entirely fault the doctor, truthfully, because within two miles of here, there's 11 other PT clinics. Um, and many of them are on, under a high volume model of three to four patients an hour. And under those situations, it's very tough to be able to say, okay, what's right for Lydia versus, hey, this is typically working for a lot of these other people who like Lydia. And so here's a list of exercises for you to do. Uh, and you do them and tell me how they went. Versus, okay, let's find out how Lydia responds to some of these exercises. Lydia, how'd that go? Where'd you struggle? As I watch you do these, I want you to do them like this, or I want you to do this a little bit differently or a little bit better. Do it like here. Did that feel okay? Oh, that was bothersome. Okay, let's modify it a little bit so that we can find success here and still get the muscles trained the way that you want them to. And that's a very different experience than just say, here you go, go do those and tell me how they went. Am I doing them correctly? Am I doing them safely? Is this going to help me? I have, I have pain when I do this, but the paper says I do it 15 times, so I'm doing it 15 times, but by the end of 10, I'm in all kinds of pain. There's just not as, not, not as much guidance. And so those are the folks who are going back to their doctor and say, yeah, I tried PT, I did all the exercises, and it still hurt. That's not the kind of PT that, that you want you to have. I went through four different PT outfits, and exactly what you were saying, you look at them, you come in, they talk to you for five minutes, says, okay, here's the exercise I want you to do. Go over to the corner, and they put you in the corner, and then they disappear. And when your doctor, when you go back to your doctor to say, are you still having pain? I says, yeah. Well, I want you to go to PT. Well, I went to PT. I just did that. Okay? So I'll send you to another one. And you go through that cycle, and, and it gets into your head. He says, why waste my time? Why waste my money? Okay? Yeah. My insurance doesn't cover it, or doesn't cover all of it. And you go through this whole cycle, and you find these guys, and until you find an outfit like yours, who I think we found by accident, we found it on Facebook. I think my wife found it on Facebook. Dave Hawks? Yeah, we went, we went yeah. to Dave first, and when he moved, he recommended you. Yeah. But he had a whole recommendation of half a dozen places. And I'm thinking, am I going to go through the same thing I went through the last time? Yeah. So I think we were fortunate to find your organization on how you prescribe PT 
and how you work the PT. Because I was in considerable pain with my back when we first started. Okay? And through the cycles, you know, we worked through the issues. And I went through about almost four or five years, something like that, almost three years, I had no back pain. Awesome. Okay? Yeah. Because of what we went through with you. Okay? So, you know, I think we're fortunate enough to find somebody like you guys, and then we recommend you with our friends and family to come here. Excellent. So, Thank you. So, That's you know, how I found out from Leo. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I came here, and I thought, oh, what a difference. Yeah, awesome. As other places where I've been. Perfect. And by the way, your checks are waiting for you at the front. Too. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the front. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Isn't it important to exercise the muscles properly so that they are in good condition or as strong as possible if you do have to have surgery? 100%. I mean, just to have a knee replacement without any muscle tone, you're going to suffer more. Afterwards, if you 100%. We call it prehab, prehabilitative care. Because we, and we, this is kind of going back to my story with Joellen. Um, absolutely. Now, she hasn't done her total knee, and she doesn't, she's not wanting to go that route. And, and I mean, we want her to be as happy as possible with her decision, and she's having great success. You're absolutely right, because if you go into surgery with a stiff knee and weak muscles, and think that, okay, great, we're gonna pull out all that ugly knee and I'm gonna get a new one and it's gonna work great. Mm -hmm. How does that go? Not good. Not good, and I will tell you, the muscles, the muscles only know and remember what the, what the joint was like before the replacement. And they're still stiff and weak. Everything around it is painful and difficult to get moving. And now we have a new knee and recovery that everyone's knee is gonna come out of a total knee replacement stiffer and more painful for, for a bit until the surgery, inflammation, and irritation goes away. But until that time, we're dealing with all kinds of, of difficulty. And, and so we, we do a lot of that. Super fancy, isn't it? All kinds of this fancy, fancy equipment. But um, my husband's had both knees replaced. Yeah. Um, he came home with a recumbent bike. Yeah, yeah. And rolled that before and after surgery. And it made a big Huge difference. And, and it doesn't take much. That's the thing. Uh, well, a lot very, of effort. He was very dedicated, but uh, you know, sometimes not everything's perfect. The first knee went like a breeze. Second knee was only two, three years later. Same doctor, same therapist, same everything, and not totally different. Too much went so great. So no, it's, I hear that all the time. Yeah, it could be the same everything, just different joint, different knee, different whatever, yeah. and different outcomes for sure. But what I'm trying to say is. It didn't take any fancy equipment other than the discipline and dedication to get on that bike to get that knee moving to give him the benefit and the help that he got out of it. Well, he, he was very determined. No, that absolutely. Me, but, um, you have to put in the work, for sure. And what I, what I really want to help kind of drive home is that there's a big decision as far as am I going to commit to what it's going to take to get this to be better or or am I not, and, and going to try and rely on the pills, injections, or surgery? Because that ultimately is, is the, the, that's the, the hardest part. The hardest part is that decision and that dedication. It helped that the TV was in front of the bike. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> let's set ourselves up for success. I'm not going to fight. Not, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the fancy equipment.
I answer the phones and I talk to patients all day long. Um, and, and a lot of places have this laser and all these fancy gimmicky things. And so people are feeling like, well, you don't have the blah, blah, blah thing. And I'm like, no, we do science evidence-based practice. You know, a lot of those things make a lot of claims. They cost a lot of money. You can buy used. No, but just like little fancy oh, laser. Yeah, like they're not, they're not doing anything mm -hmm. physically with their body to make a change. They're just relying on somebody to do something to them. And it's it, it just the market and just the things that go on are crazy. And everybody just wants sometimes that quick thing, but then they always come back to you. That's the biggest thing. The fanciest, most complex exercise equipment is you. You are the, the fanciest, most complex exercise equipment that you're going to need. And no exercise equipment is going to work until you work. And that's, that's the bottom line. And until we figure that out, it doesn't matter what equipment that you're going after, until we figure out how to get you, get you moving and get you working. It won't matter. And that, that's why we don't, you know, from my standpoint, we try and do a few things to get, you know, tables are all high low. They're all nice tables because, you know, from a standpoint of what we want to be able to do, set ourselves up for success. Uh, but also, we, we don't want to waste time trying to figure out fancy equipment or, or, you know, having you guys try and learn fancy equipment when much of that time can be better spent helping you move better. And movement patterns are a big thing that we go over because more identifiable than footprints or than fingerprints are the way that we move. Gate pattern analysis now is being used in, in FBI's and, and all our Homeland Security because they're more consistent, more reliable than even fingerprint analysis, where the way that you move is very unique. Some more effective and healthy than others. And all that has to do with what muscles are tight, what joints are bad, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but you, you have one thing I think that's more important than some of the other places is the people that you've hired and they work for you are just as dedicated as you are to the profession. Yeah. And when they work with us as individuals for whatever we're in here for, they try to help us get to our goals of what we want. And if you don't have those people, and I've gone to those places, that you're just a number or you're just another client for them to make more money, okay? Your people are different. Yep. You're a client and a patient for them, but they also want to do the best for us so that we come out with the best, okay? And we treat it as individuals. 100%, and, and, and we don't let them meet until they treat you that way, by the way, that's a big part of it. We, one of our core values is that we wanna care for the person before providing patient care. And, too often in the model of high volume, we don't have time for that person stuff. We don't have time for that humanity stuff. All we can do is this patient stuff. When we know and realize our outcomes are far better, when I actually care about Teresa and that she's got grandkids and she wants to be able to move and she wants to be able to walk and go with her friends, that matters a whole lot more differently when I'm prescribing exercises that are gonna be effective for her versus, hey, go do those over here, I got this other thing to do. And that is just a number in patient orientation versus Hey, Teresa, I want to know about what's going on with you. Why does this matter? Why is it important? And who's going to be affected because you can't do this? And that's a whole different conversation. So 100%. You're motivating your, your people. Your, your staff are motivating the people that you're helping. 100%. We, we do not, 
we do not uh, deny the, the cheerleading effect of, hey, let's succeed together. Let's have fun doing this because we know it's not comfortable. We know, we know this is not everyone's dream to be in physical therapy and do exercises. <laughs> we fully accept that. I have one question uh, I didn't ask earlier, and that's on the lubrication and the yeah. gel shots. Yeah. Why is it when I went to Tolka, I could get the gel shots? Uh, I understand they're not USDA approved. And then when my insurance isn't good there anymore and I go somewhere else, they say, we don't give gel shots. And I'm like, oh, great. I start all over. Yeah, and I can't, I can't really answer that specifically because... Um, is, it not, is it true it's not USDA approved? Some are, some are not. Okay. And some facilities are, are different levels of... Um, contract relationship with insurances, uh, some with even products that they offer. Um, and some of those injections, and, and when we say injections, there's a wide range of, of, uh, of orthovisc, uh, whether that's just um, hyaluronic acid, uh, which is a PRP injection, like, oh, there's a whole lot of them that are injectables, mm -hmm. and some are not FDA approved and covered by insurance. Um, and those are even separate, by the way. Some are FDA approved and covered. Some are not FDA approved and covered. Some are not any of those things, okay. and they're all out of pocket. Um, and you should all be skeptical of, okay, well, help me understand why it is in whatever orientation that it is. Because um, we, are, we are all on a path of how can we best help people with knee pain because we know it's going to be a huge issue. And we know that when we're not mobile and we can't sleep very well, we get quite cranky and relationships suffer and things just aren't as... The sun is not as bright, the colors aren't as vibrant, it, just life's not as great. And when we are trying to find out what is the best solution to this knee pain situation, we're all in this constant pursuit and willing to try these things. Um, and so okay. how much out of pocket are we wanting to go with in terms of Can't stem cells? Uh, you know, to put off. That's, that, that is the, the biggest point I want to drive home is that there are a lot of options still to, to do and to pursue. None of them none of them will allow you to overcome the decision to make the change mm -hmm. to get something done. She was worried and frustrated because she had a brother's wedding in Hawaii. Yeah. And how can I sit, luggage, overhead, how can I do all these things, make it to Hawaii and not be a total mess for my brother's wedding? And there was a brand new grand, uh, nephew, that she, baby, that she wanted to hold and she was afraid she wouldn't be able to hold the baby because her back was and like Christy had said, 60 visits in network PT with that same kind of three to four patients an hour. Um, two weeks in, both both braces are gone. Uh, she still wore her undergarment. It was like a, a a posture shirt. She still liked to wear the posture shirt, fine. But both external back braces were done. She went to Hawaii, had a great time. wasn't wasn't all the way done, um, but was f far less fragile and far less concerned with the way she was operating uh, in the two weeks that she had with us versus the, she exhausted her, her annual PT benefit with an in-network physical therapy than, um, than when she came with us. And co-pays and co, and co uh, yeah. Yeah. I came in because of my back, my back pain. And in three visits, I've been able to make dinner. Yeah. Where I had not been able to because I couldn't stand that long. Love it, yeah. I love it. Um, I, lo yeah, I love hearing the stories because it is a matter of uh, we're, we're in a partnership with, with your decision to get better. 
We absolutely understand. This is not a place for you to think that you're going to come in, lay on a table, and have hands laid upon you, and then stand up, and we're all good. <laughs> we, we are, we, I know, I know, it might shock you. In, in spite of what we've already been told, it might shock you, uh, but it's not. It, it's very much a, a partnership that we're working together to, to fine-tune and identify what's helping. And, and how much work do you put in when you're in here, Lydia? Well, I do everything that Colton tells me to do. You're darn, yeah, you're darn right you do. You're working hard. You're working hard in here. And that's, um, that's the biggest thing, is, is we fully recognize we are limited in our ability to help you get better in terms of, like, fixing the thing. We have, we have no God complex around what we do. We understand that the only thing that we can do is help show you the way and, and try and be as convincing and persuasive as possible to help, to help you make the decision to do the thing, to do the work. Uh, but until then, we, we can't do any more for you. Um, and that's why, that's why it works better. I was impressed with, with your Justin. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the first time I'd seen him my last time. He wasn't here the last time, I, the first time I came. Right. And I was very impressed with Justin on how he related to me with what I needed to do. Good. And, you know, he picked up just where Hannah left off, you know, how you rotate him. Yeah. So. Yeah, what he's talking about, there's multiple providers here, and we build it into your plan of care with us that you're not going to see the same one every single time. And we do that intentionally because, kind of like what Leo was talking about, we don't want you to feel constrained to just that one PT's interpretations, abilities, um, strengths, and, and weaknesses. So instead, we build it in where you're going to have second and third sets of eyes on you and, and making sure that um, we're all, all of our strengths are being capitalized or, or used in your plan of care with us. Um, kind of going over the three phases of care, the way that we do things differently. We've already talked about the root cause investigation, how it's different than just the injury site, uh, and often... Traditional physical therapy ends once we start feeling a little bit better. Hey, pain is gone, great, okay, discharge time, off you go. Um, when we still want to have a conversation about, hey, now that pain is gone, we can get into the real nitty-gritty movement patterns and exercises that are going to help you long-term so that you know with completeness how to manage this on your own. Too often we see folks who end too soon. Hey, it's feeling great, wonderful, and they go on, only to find out, the muscles and things, joints, those takes four, at least four to six weeks to get any kind of measurable strength changes. It takes that long. We can get pain relief sometimes in a couple of visits. Sometimes in a week we get pain relief. But in chronic conditions, particularly with arthritis, we know that we've had years of changes to our movement patterns and to our strength that need to take time to get better. And so we want to make sure that people, and we try and have this conversation on the front end of saying, hey, the minute pain starts to go down, let's not get too excited about the fact that we're done with physical therapy or, or, and I say, or that we're done doing the exercises because so many times it's like, hey, great, great, I'm all done. No more exercises when really that's what's keeping the pain away and we want to make sure we continue to hone those in. And when we say exercise, I don't want you guys to think like dumbbells and barbells and heavy squats and gym grunts and mirror flexes. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about movements and stretches and there will be some resistance, yes, but very much tailored to what is going on with your case. So that's why we have the pain relief phase, we have restorative phases, and then we have maintenance and preventative phases. All with the intention to help you return to standing up and cooking, walking, getting out of a, a booth, etc. Um, yeah, typically, just a little bit more information here. I'm, I'm going a little bit faster because we're, we're exceeding the hour. Um, any questions on, on what we do, by the way? 
on the differences or understandings of preventative maintenance and restorative care. Okay, good. I, I know I went over that kind of quickly, but um, just being sensitive to your time. Um, a little bit about what we do, ultimately helping you make the next best decision. Helping you make the next best healthcare decision so you can have joy in the journey. That's our mission and very rigidly oriented around that. How many times Christy's been on the phone with someone and said, hey, you know what? We're not the best fit for you. I think you should go. You need to go talk to a neurologist or you need to go this other place because from what we do and what I'm listening to, what I'm hearing is this is not exactly what we do. Our whole goal, our whole mission is to help you make the next best healthcare decision. Um, and we, our specialty, you know, I get asked all the time, what, what kind of, what kind of physical therapy do you do? And we help people 40 plus stay active and independent, live free from painkillers and avoid surgery. So people who are interested and committed to that, that's who we help. Uh, we're not for everyone. And we, we absolutely accept that we will not help and heal everyone, especially the, I just, I just finished a 50 page book on low back pain. It's in its, um, review. Any, Writing a book is hard. Man, there are so many phases. I, and I am not a writer. My mom is an English teacher, and she will tell you, I failed, I failed language arts in fourth grade. And I talk about disappointment in my mom's eyes. Here she is. And it has been an effort of mine to try and, try and get better at that with the intention to help, help people make the next best decision. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is, is Starting, you know, why, why did I start this? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing here in terms of this being my clinic, the way I want to treat what I treat? And it is, it is just around the fact, when I was in, I was a partner in a group out in the East Valley, uh, and Naomi knows because she was here when I was making this commute, but I was a partner in this group, and uh, they took all the insurances, they were kind of a large group, and all the patients, and I got disenchanted with physical therapy in how many times I get people on my case who are only there to do physical therapy because their doctor wouldn't prescribe them another refill of their pain meds until physical therapy failed for them. Well, how does that help us? How does that set us up for any kind of success? They don't even want to be here, let alone willing to have any kind of agreeance to it helping or working. And so I have no magic wand. I have no spells to cast. What are we going to do here? And that was about a third of my patient caseload. And then the other half, I shouldn't say the other half, but then I had another third that was a, a very nice elderly population. We lived, my clinic was in a place that lived right near a lot of retirement communities. And we had a lot of snowbirds, uh, just like we kind of do on this side of town. Um, but a lot of them were arthritic low back pain patients who only wanted the massage. And then they, were, they didn't want anything to do with exercises <laughs> because they had done all the exercises. And none of those exercises helped. And so they knew that just the back massage was going to help them. And I know with all the research that we've done on massage, while it can be temporary and short term, I mean, how many feel better that, that day, maybe the next day after massage? It's great, but we know it's not going to be the restorative care that, that we need. Um, no matter how I tried to explain it, no matter, I was just this young thing that these, these ladies wanted to back massage. They, they had all the answers. And it was just, I had a, I had a third of the caseload that were these people who wanted to get better, wanted to avoid surgery, and, and I had a thrill treating because they actually would listen to what we suggested and then they get better. Shocker. And so it was like, how do I get more of these people who are actually genuinely interested in putting forth the work and doing what's necessary and, and getting better? Now, I, did every single one of them get better? No. No, not everyone got better. 
That is the reality of what we do in medicine. Just like any of the spine surgeons, any of the orthopedic surgeons, do all of them go in with surgery and come out better? Nope, they don't. And in back surgery, we're talking 50%. 50% of the time, they come out worse or no better. That's every other. That's a high, high percentage of failure, in my opinion. And so it is one of those, I accept that we're not going to be able to heal everyone, but I am far more interested in helping those who are, who are ready and willing to help themselves. And that's where we have the most success, which is why we love having patients like you guys who have been here before, who are that committed and equally enjoy at least having some joy in this journey and, and at least having some enjoyment in the process of getting better because we do genuinely care that you get better and are able to achieve your goals so you can stand and cook dinner, so you can walk, play with your grandkids, and enjoy life much easier. That's all I got for you today. I appreciate you guys coming, and I'm more than open to having, uh, fielding any, any questions you guys have. Preferred Physical Therapy and the guests on this show does not recommend, endorse, or make any representation about the efficacy, appropriateness, or suitability of any specific tests, products, procedures, treatments, services, opinions, healthcare providers, or other information that may be contained on or available through this content. Preferred Physical Therapy and the guests on the show are not responsible nor liable for any advice, course of treatment, diagnosis, or any other information, services, or products that you obtained through this audio recording. For specific information regarding your case, please consult a licensed professional in your area.